Hey Lyric CC and community members, it is I, Ulu, the director of Lyric Music College. I want to give you a warm welcome to the Gain Knowledge Build Relationships series, hosted by Lyric's very own student government. The purpose of this series is to create a space where Lyric CC and UH system students, as well as community members, can listen to the different talk stories that highlight a wide variety of topics, including campus system updates from administrators, to personal stories from different individuals as a way to build a safe community and gain information that may be helpful to all different walks of life. We hope you enjoyed this series. In this episode, Student Government hosted a talk story with Chancellor Carlos Peñalosa as a way to find out the updates that are happening on campus and possibly system-wide, especially as for the upcoming Spring 2022 semester. Please note that in addition to this episode's updates that were shared, there could always be additional or change updates in the near future. Now, let me pass it on to the main host. On CUSG. Good afternoon, Chancellor. Thank you so much for attending this meeting with student government today. My name is Alex, and I am here with uh, Libra Community College's Chancellor, Carlos Pinaloza. We're very excited to have him with us today, and he's gonna give us some updates on what's going on with the school lately. Uh, so uh, first of all, just wanna say thanks for attending and uh, hope you're doing well, Chancellor, and uh, looking forward to hearing what you have to bring us. Um, this is all part of our student government podcast, Gain Knowledge and Build Relationships. This is uh, found on Spotify and YouTube, and uh, we're very excited to share this with um, our students and our classmates. So. Thanks so much, and uh, please take it away, Chancellor, with any updates you have for us. All right, well, thank you for that, Alex. Happy New Year's to everyone, and also welcome to our new senators. Um, because there are new faces, I, I will also uh, go through the activity. I'm Carlos Penaloza, he, him, his. Um, I am the Chancellor here at Leeward Community College. And when I was a student, I was a biology major. I went through the pre-med track myself. Uh, but with that, um, you know, I, I love to engage with student government because I get a good pulse on what students are feeling and needing. And I could try to come up with some responses to issues or bring, you know, good news whenever, whenever it's available. Uh, and so I always appreciate these venues. Um, especially at a time when we don't have that many students on campus. <laughs> um, it's nice to engage with students in some capacity. Um, unlike other, other times that we've had these conversations where things were like in turmoil and things were changing very, very rapidly, I think things are a little bit more steady now uh, as it relates to the pandemic and how we're managing and changes but there's still plenty of updates. And so I wanna keep you all involved and engaged uh, because there's a lot going on at the college. I'm gonna start uh, very briefly, you know, COVID updates, not much has changed uh, from the last time that we met, but as you know, we do require vaccination for on-campus activities. Um, that's gonna remain um, for the foreseeable future. Uh, in addition to that, we are still pretty sensitive to the to the surge that we recently experienced. Uh, and so we still are operating a lot of our services in an online capacity. Uh, but we are seeing a little bit of a return. And I think that we've all experienced and seen this in the news that the case counts have been have, have been going down. So that's actually really good. 
so hopefully we'll be able to navigate through COVID um, and get back to the new norm. Um, with that, I do want to share a couple of other things. We're in the middle of legislative session. Now, I don't know how many of you are naturally engaged with those topics, but as a state entity uh, that is involved with everything, we get tapped for a lot of things. Uh, in addition to, to that, the legislative session is an opportunity for the, for the colleges and state entities to figure out how to get funding for new things, how to get funding for things that we were funded for before and maybe cut. So I wanna just briefly uh, summarize what's happened in the last couple of years with the pandemic um, and the budgets. Uh, last year, the university experienced a pretty hefty budget cut. So we're living it uh, overall in the ballpark between 30 and $40 million university-wide, uh, which is a pretty substantial amount of money. Uh, the university came out with requests to the legislature uh, which the Board of Regents approved, which was to request to make our budget whole. That was the really big request. We're not asking for new, we're not asking for really big things, we're basically saying just make us whole. Uh, and if that were to happen, uh, we would be able to go back to a different level of normal, because right now we're still operating on a higher freeze, a travel freeze, a major spending freeze, and it's just really difficult to plan for the future, no, you know, with that, uh, on with the unknowns, um, and so we're hopeful. We're very optimistic that the state legislature will will make us whole, uh, because as an update, the governor in his budget did kind of bring us back to our pre-pandemic budget levels, and so the legislature needs to finalize that, and then we'll know for sure. Um, good and bad. Uh, the good news is that the state is sitting on a good amount of money right now. Um, and so they are able to make some really nice shifts with money. The bad news, though, is that that excess or surge of funding is because of the stimulus that the federal government gave the states. So it's not a constant new surplus. It's just one-time monies. And so we may be able to make some gains, but we may not be able to get the full amount of money that was cut. Um, the one thing I do want to share with everyone is that if this, the, the UH budget is not made whole again, we're still going to be living a pretty strict higher freeze, which has impacted some of our areas. I think that many of us in, uh, in a staffing capacity feel overwhelmed because we're doing uh, a lot of work with, with, a lot, with, with a lot less resource. The next thing is that Leeward does have one big ask budget-wise. So the rest of the university didn't have as many asks. <coughs> Excuse me. We had one. If you visited our Pearl City campus, some years ago, we had to remove the fascias off our buildings because they were sort of falling apart. It was a health and safety issue. Um, it's, it's created a, a relatively ugly uh, uh, curb appeal, um, but it's, it's not just the ugly. It's that there is exposed rebar on our buildings. And you know, when you live close to the ocean, the, the, the erosion of the buildings could be accelerated. Um, and so the fascias of the buildings are basically the covering, like, like the cap to the buildings. Um, and so that is a big ask because we had funding before to remove the decaying fascias but we didn't have enough money to put the new ones on. 
And so we have a line item request that adds up to six and a half million dollars. It made it through the Board of Regents request. It made it through the governor's request. We're really hopeful that the legislature puts it through in this biennium because that, you know, a big part of student and employee satisfaction is where we congregate, where we meet, where we spend a good amount of time. And, and it really will make a difference if we were able to uh, shape that up. If you come to campus, there are a couple of buildings that have had recent renovations where the fascias look really good. But the general campus center does need that. And so I wanted to be to put that in front of you because that was one of the asks that we were actually thrilled that the university decided to put in their budget, that the regents agreed to keep in the UH budget, and that the governor supports. So one more step, one more step, and we get that big uh, contribution to the college. And so that, that, that'd be really nice. Um, Toward the end of last year, just to move on to a slightly different topic, I know that you know time is, is really valuable. Um, we did have what I think may be, and I haven't been here long enough, what may have been our biggest Giving Tuesday campaign. Um, and, and I think that that was really uh, empowering because there are needs. There are needs for us to, to support. And, you know, when, when I was looking for what areas I wanted to support and maybe uh, push a little bit on the campaign, our food pantry became one of those big areas because there's high need. And so I think that we did relatively well. Uh, we brought in a good amount of money to support um, our, our, our food distribution efforts. Uh, we're trying to expand a little bit more on that. But I, you know, I, I just want to keep engaging in that capacity because we have more capacity. We just haven't really tested out the waters in some of these campaigns. Um, and so we'll try to do this, make it into an annual campaign that everyone knows of, that everyone you know, gets to the point of helping and contributing to the cause. Um, I think that that was a really nice way of sort of wrapping up last year. It was really nice. Um, about two weeks ago at the, at the Board of Regents meeting, President Lasner shared what is to be the university's more longer term vision, um, which really isn't a major deviation to what we've been seeing, uh, but, but it is articulating things that had been a little bit uh, concerning in the past, or at least nebulous. <laughs> they were very unclear what a unified university means you know, what, what centralization means. And so there were clear examples. I wanted to sum, sum it up a little bit. <laughs> the university's position is that we need to do things that we're not currently doing. And one of the only ways to do it is to maybe redirect resources that currently exist and request new resources. What that means for us is maybe remapping how our services occur. Uh, and so it may be that some services become centralized, like it may be that some services get a little bit of additional support. Um, no major directives of we're cutting this, we're cutting that to add this, but just the direction of let's work collectively toward a more unified approach. And I brought this up earlier last year into suggesting that as a student, that starts at a community college may take classes at a different community college and ultimately transfer to one of our four-year partners, having a smooth experience and transition that feels a little bit more unified 
would be a better experience to the students. And so that's what the president articulated to some extent in his vision, but also suggested the state has major needs when it comes to workforce. And there are a couple of pillars that are of high needs, like the trades are really important, like um, computer science is really important, technology, uh, health sciences is really important, and education is really important. And those are the big four. The big four that the university really wants to keep pushing and investing in. Um, that's that's great for us uh, because we we have a little bit of all of that, um, and so we fall within that vision. We just may need to rethink how we operate a little bit, um, but but we've been loud into ensuring that our voice is heard, and in that we 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 are not penalized or that we're not held to a detriment to any of these changes. On a positive of all of this, just about two hours ago. I presented to the Board of Regents our special education certificate program. And so our SPED program was provisionally approved in 2017. Part of the process when you introduce a new program to the college is that it comes in provisional. And then a couple of years later, you could establish it as a permanent program. Our, our, our SPED program was not permanent, it was provisional. And today, after presenting it to the Board of Regents, uh, the Academic and Student Affairs Subcommittee, they unanimously uh, recommended for permanent uh, status. And that's a really big win for us. We've had a little bit of hiccups here and there with education because there are other big wigs in the education fields, including UH Manoa and West Oahu. And we all need to work collectively to this. Uh, but it's one of the major pillars, and it was a really big move because for the last two and a half years, you know, the pandemic and all of these changes, we haven't been able to get some of these things done. So that's a huge, a huge win for us, and we're really excited about it. Now, I want to start uh, wrapping up a little bit by bringing in the big one, which is strategic planning. Uh, Leeward is currently engaged in its strategic planning effort. Um, you know, we've tried to engage initially with leadership and with groups to help a little bit, but what I did last year, toward the end of last year and really presented early this year, is that I appointed a group of individuals that are going to dedicate almost their entire workload to making sure that our planning process is effective. So to give you a little bit of an idea, a strategic plan is something that all universities engage in. It's basically planning. It's the equivalent of you saying, okay, over the next five years, I want to buy a car and I want to pay off my student debt, right? That's, my, that, that's what I want to do. Those are my goals. How am I going to do that? I'm going to get a second job and I'm going to save, right? So those are some strategies. Well, all universities engage in the same, in the same concept. We look to see what's going on, what we would like to improve, and we set the tone for what we're going to do as a college to get there. Um, and so I've asked the college to really make this a super engaging process where everyone's involved. The reason that I say that is if you're not part of the process of making a strategic plan, you don't typically buy enough into it to make it worth your while. That's basically like someone saying, hey, the chancellor said that we all need to buy a car in the next three years. Well, some of you may buy into it and many will not. Um, but if we all engage in what's important to us and we set those goals and we all work collectively to it. 
And typically what we are looking for are ways to improve our student experience, to improve in our student outcomes, and then a little bit for self care, right? We want to be that institution where employees feel good about the institution, because if you feel good about what you do, then the students feel good about the services they're getting. And so that's what we want to do through this engagement process. I set a timeline that's a year long timeline um, with a couple of phases where we're going to be reviewing our mission. We're going to be reviewing our vision. We're going to be setting goals and we're all going to be participating in it. And that includes you. Um, and so in appointing um, Summer Barrett as our strategic planning coordinator, she's going to be meeting with our leaders initially, setting the tone of what the process will look like, and that's going to be published relatively soon. Then everyone is going to engage in this process. I want to hear from you. I want to know what's worked well for you, and I know what challenges you've, I want to know what challenges you've been experiencing, and this can come from surveys from direct conversations, from focus groups, all of this is gonna be part of the process. But what we want is that when we start in 2023, we start on a strategic plan that we all feel we contributed to and that we see ourselves in it. And as student leaders, you're part of the equation, right? Because you have a really important role in connecting the dots between the student experience and what everyone else is doing at the college from a staffing and instructional perspective. And so getting your voice heard is important and, and then being part of the planning process, seeing how you can contribute to our strategic plan is gonna be critical. And so with that, I know I could be super long-winded and I could go on forever, but I wanted to end in that note just to basically say as a heads up, you'll be engaged very shortly about our strategic planning. Wonderful. Thank you so much for all those updates, Chancellor. Um, I'm myself, I'm looking forward to the strategic planning um, sort of things that Summer Barrett has set up. I'm excited to work on that with her. So it's just a really great opportunity. Um, so for the whole school, should really be excited about the upcoming changes. Uh, thanks for updating us on the budget. It's um, it's really good to know about the $6.5 million request. Uh, that's that's good. I'm glad it's um, going well. And it's really good to know that the uh, Giving Tuesday was the biggest it ever has been. So thanks again for the update on that. And it is very good to know uh, where President Lasner is at with his long-term vision. And as well as congratulations to Leeward for getting this FED program to permanent status. That's really awesome news. So really thankful for that. Um, I know that we have all have a few questions for you if you have a little time. Um, yeah, yeah. Great. Um, I'll go first, just kind of getting back to what you were talking about with um, the COVID-19 uh, vaccination uh, in order to go to class, the, the mandate that uh, has set in place by all of the University of Hawaii. Do you know if there's any talks of um, a booster shot becoming part of the mandate as well? I know I have um, discussed this with you Mm -hmm. a few times, but um, just seeing if there's any update, um, because sure. I know that is a concern for, for many who possibly um, are experiencing situations where they know someone who has been, say, their last time vaccinated was maybe last April. And so mm -hmm. they're kind of wondering what their, what their safety is in that situation and wondering if a booster shot and if a booster shot made it would make them feel a little more comfortable. So we're just wondering if that's part of the conversation at all. Those conversations are in fact happening and there is there is direction, the, the, the movement is in the direction of requiring the booster shot. 
but but like with the original mandate of the vaccine, we have to go through different channels, including union consultations. Uh, but there are conversations on the requirement of the booster shots because for what it's worth, it, the vaccine and the booster shots have alleviated the 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 negative ripple of 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 the the COVID um, virus, and so we were seeing a lot more case numbers, but not as many hospitalizations and deaths as a result of it. So there is definitely a, a connection there, and the university is working to move in the direction of requiring the booster shot or shots in plural because it may be more frequent. <laughs> Okay, great. And thanks so much. And I know that our um, Senator Eric has a question on the same topic. So I'll go ahead and pass the floor to him. And then uh, we can see if anybody else has questions after that, if that works for you, Eric. Yes. Uh, thank you, Alex and um, Chancellor Carlos. I just wanted to, a lot of the students I've talked to about the COVID mandates and lockdowns and all are all seem to be very wary against it, and it seems to be having an impact on the students' mental health. A lot of students that I've talked to don't want to go back to in-person because they're afraid that when the new variant comes out, they're just going to get kicked back to online or distance education. A lot of students also just are getting a little bit fed up and don't want to really stay at Leeward because they kind of want, or some of them are for medical or various reasons don't want to uh, get the booster or the shots or religious reasons. Um, I was wondering, could we get the Student Health Center to get COVID testing for the students? So that way, when the new variant comes out that the vaccines, well, you can't protect against new variants. So they, the test would be able to not only prevent us so we wouldn't have to go and be locked down whenever a new variant comes up, it also let unvaccinated students get back on campus and everyone would be safe. Yeah, Eric, that's, that's, that's a great question. And it's been part of a lot of our conversations, I'll say, because we did know at the time that the mandate was coming that there would be students uh, uh, that, 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 would be, that, that would hesitate in getting the vaccine. Um, and so, one of the challenges, though, is that as, as a state entity, many of the decisions are coming from really high uh, places. And so we're not necessarily in an, easy, in an easy position to deviate from that. So as Leeward, we don't have much sway. Um, I will say that um, we have contemplated working with the health center to see if they can administer tests. The, one of the challenges there is a the reporting structure uh, because the the, um, the tests that would be used for official purposes, like to have someone come back or to, uh, to be validated for employment or anything like that are the types of tests that are typically reported to the Department of Health. Uh, and so some places have that capacity, others haven't built it quite yet. And so they may have like, I have a couple of tests in my office, right? That I could administer myself, but only I know the results and I can't use them officially. And so it's that differential that makes it a little bit difficult. And then the other thing is we also want to be a little bit protective of our own, right? Our own employees and our own community. Um, and so we try to come up with resources that may be available. Some may not be as, as practical, right? For like, you know, if you have to find a testing site and often, 
you know, I've seen them. I drive by an urgent care every morning. And on Monday mornings, there's this long line of people waiting to get tested. Um, so there are challenges. We are constantly looking for ways to, to provide more resource. Um, and so I'll bring that one back again, because the conversation about our, having our health center help out has happened before, but we haven't really gotten, you know, in, any further. I, I, I don't know the details of, of how, where those conversations have gone. So I'll just bring that one back. I, I will also tap into, you know, the mental health situation. I think it's not just happening to students, even the employees. Uh, we have different sides of the equation, right? So we have those that are really hesitating to come back because they're fearful. I mean, this virus has done a lot of damage. Um, and at the same time, you, we also have the other side of the equation where people are just exhausted of the lockdowns and the masks. And so, and it's having, it's definitely having an impact on all of us. Um, you know, I, I don't want to diminish anyone's experience, but I will share. I have four kids that are all in elementary school, not being able to celebrate anything with them and, and not being able to do, you know, things that typically are fun, uh, seeing our family traveling and all of those things has had a major impact. And so I, I can recognize that. Uh, Leeward does have and will be continuing to build up a little bit more our mental health capacity, our support services, because we do know that that's a major need. In fact, we want to go to the legislature to support that more now more than ever. Um, because as you know, we have one full-time mental health counselor for the college, but we have teamed up with UH West Oahu to provide a little more support. And we recently got a grant that will help us for the next few years in having a surge of mental health support. So we recognize that need and we're trying to address it. And so I guess, you know, to, to address some of the concerns that students may be bringing about, I, I recognize it. I, I really worry about overextending ourselves in a face-to-face -face capacity, knowing that another surge, there may be another decision that comes down on us where we sort of pivot back. The other thing that is important to know, uh, Eric, is much of what we offer in terms of courses on campus is based on uh, student interest. If we had a little bit more student interest for face-to-face -face classes, those classes would make and we would keep them, but we've been challenged. Uh, often when you open up an online section and a face-to-face -face section, the online one fills, whereas the face-to-face -face one has a, a trickling effect for enrollment. Um, and so I think that that comes again to your, your comment about hesitation. Um, I don't, I don't want to necessarily commit to a class that's just going to be you know, shifted back to online. What I can tell you is that the university has made commitments to really just keep on moving forward, um, especially given that we've learned to live a little bit more with scarier case numbers <laughs> uh, and still survive. Um, I, I think that we're moving, we're moving forward in, in a better direction. Thank you, Carlos, or Chancellor Carlos. So you said that you were uh, worried about pivoting. Uh, who exactly uh, is in charge of the top-down decisions uh, for relating to the pandemic mandates? Yeah, so the university has a, a um, I don't want to call them a committee, but it's a group of health experts 
uh, you know, like epidemiologists and folks from Jackson and, and, and just people that are well-informed on what's going on. And so as surges come about or anything like that, they circulate through this group. So when the CDC makes changes to their recommendations, it circulates through this group and they ultimately make the recommendations for the university to follow. And so if there are instances where the CDC is making recommendations about, you know, uh, masks are no longer required. It goes through that group and they make those changes. And so that's, that's the group that's ultimately making those recommendations and it does come from the university system. Um, there may be other decisions that are made at the state level, um, but, but those are fewer. Um, I, I think that the recommendations for how we operate are, are at the university, at the university level. And so that group makes recommendations circulates among the unions and different groups and then it comes back as a okay this is how we're operating these are the new guidelines and we and we just follow those um yeah okay so do you know like the name of this group or who they are or anything about them yeah i i i, I could look up the name of the group i'm not part of it um and so the the information usually streams from our vice president for community colleges. I don't know necessarily that she's on it either, but I could get you the name of that group. I'll 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 share it with Lexer and 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 you know give you more details on that. And as to the composition, I know that they're all well-to-do, like uh, health and sciencey people, um, and so Very and so that's why we rely on them. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Chancellor. I really appreciate your time. Uh, does anyone else have anything that you want to talk about? I have a question for Chancellor. Um, so mine would be on the COVID testing. So I know that um, our school doesn't offer free COVID testing. Or when I was looking on the site, it does. There is a page where it says free COVID testing available to unvaccinated UH students and employees. Um, so I was wondering, like, what if like vaccinated um, students would need um, a COVID test, would they need to pay or would they be eligible for the free one? Wow, that is a wonderful question. And I don't know that I have probably the most appropriate answer, so I may have to follow up. Um, I will say that generally speaking, if you have cause to get a test, those are free tests. Right, so if you've been exposed or if there's some risk, uh, the tests are free and gen generally speaking, I mean, almost wherever you go. Um, but in as to a contract with the university to handle the test for students that may not have a cause, I'm not sure. I'm gonna have to follow up on that with you. Thank you, Lich. Thank you, Chancellor. Yeah. So Erica, just to kind of, um you know, add to what you're saying or on the subject of what you're saying. Um, it is something we all should know that during fall, when uh, before the mandates were involved and before um, vaccinations were as rampant, um, and they did have the Lumicite update with um, your COVID tests and all that, that was a, a lot due to uh, emergency funding that the school was receiving. Um, we're not getting as much as that anymore. So that's neat that we need to consider that. Um, as you know, because it was possible, of course, but that was a different situation in a different semester where we had a bit more funding in regards to this exact situation. So um, 
I don't think it's as easy to just go back to the way it was because it's more a matter of thinking of a new way to do it. Um, Matt, did you have a question? I did. All right. And Chancellor, um, a few months. Did he cut off for anyone else? Mr. Sean. You're going to have to type it. Oh, yeah, connection. Oh. Yeah, Pat. Yeah, he's typing. <laughs> we will hang on. We will hang on. But yes, yeah, so um, just to clarify again, too, right? So regarding the COVID testing that was free before, right? It wasn't mandated that everyone had to be vaccinated, right? Faculty, staff, students. It wasn't, it wasn't mandated until spring, right? For fall, yes, you had to, to um, or, or you could just, it was either or, right? You're vaccinated or you get the test. And the funding for that came from COVID, right? Came from COVID emergency money. So part of the reason why I'm guessing, right, that we don't have that right now as well is because COVID money is going to go away. Um, right. So for students that, you know, again, are, are listening, I mean, we hope students that you all are listening, that um, the student emergency funds as well, and actually I oversee that, it's through LEE funds at hawaii.edu, so LEE funds, um, this will be the last semester, right? Mm -hmm. And so students that have been here for two years might be kind of used to it, uh, you know, maybe it, even if you haven't uh, had the opportunity to, you know, apply for it or got the administrative funds, you might have heard of your friends, right, other students, right, that have received it. So some students, right, might have had four semesters worth of up to $1,000 um, of this essentially free money, right, because it's non-taxable and all of that. It is most likely going to end. I mean, we anticipate that the federal government is not going to be uh, providing higher education with this free money. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's part of the reason why we were able to do free testing because they're not cheap. Um, right. And so that's part of the reason why we <laughs> do that. And it's not necessarily available now. So just some clarification. Thanks, Lexer. Mm -hmm. All right, I think I see the question from Matt. So is there an upcoming event for students to get boosters? So, you know, when, when we did the initial surge vaccinations here at Leeward, um, it was because the, the vaccinations were coming in in waves and there needed to be priorities of groups that were getting the vaccination. Um, as the vaccination became more common and more available in other places, the need to have surge sites sort of dwindled away. And it became very apparent because toward the later months of our surge site, um, appointments were, were going to waste, right? So not many people were signing up. And, and so as a result of that, um, now most places that could administer shots can and are administering the booster shots. And so I don't see any, um, any events in the foreseeable future that would, that, that, that would do something like that. However, um, there have been conversations again through, you know, about the possibility of offering something through our health center. Um, and so, but again, I, ha I, I don't know the depth of where those conversations have gone. So I'm going to have to inquire with some of my folks. There may be limitations in as to what we can, if anything. Um, but, but yeah, I think that the extent to which we've had conversations about booster shots is that it will eventually become a requirement. <laughs> I 
for those that are excited. Um, and I think I heard you say, Carlos, somebody um, told me this, that it will now be called like up-to-date vaccination. Yeah. Something like that, right? Like the most yeah. current vaccination. Right, or... right. Mm -hmm. and, and we're still trying to mechanize all of those things, right? Because we're still using Lumicide for much of what we're doing as it relates to the vaccine, but eventually it become it'll become more of a norm. And, and we wonder whether, you know, even the questionnaire will remain relevant, you know, even a year from now, you know, do you have a headache? <laughs> Don't show up. Hmm. Cool. Thank you so much for all that information. We've gone over quite a bit and I'm sure that um, all of the Leeward students are really excited to be up to date. Uh, do any other senators have any questions for our chancellor? Yes, I have one more. Uh, this is going a little bit related to the SPED, uh, but I, are you related to the uh, education or the general ed redesign at all? Do you have any say in that department? So we, I, I get briefed every now and then on what's going on there. And honestly, today I got a little bit distracted on the update because we were sort of celebrating the SPED program. Um, I would say that our, our, our faculty are a little bit more uh, aware of the updates. And, and I wonder, I know that at some point, I think you were all given a short update on, on the Gen Ed redesign. They are a much better, so our, our faculty reps are a much better source of information than myself. Um, and, and I will say that the bits and pieces of updates that I've received uh, don't lead me to believe that much um, large changes have been decided yet. I, it's still in, in discussion um, and more groups are going to be meeting throughout this year uh, to continue addressing the Gen Ed redesign. That, that's the extent of an update that I can share. Okay, well, I was more asking about whether you have any say in that department. Ah, so... The, the understanding that I have, so not, not much, not much. Uh, the understanding that I have is that Gen Ed Redesign is going to be philosophical in nature and each of the campuses is going to have their own iteration of it still, mm -hmm. but the philosophy overall shared so that it's easier seamlessness. Um, from a curriculum perspective, faculty do own the curriculum. And so from a programmatic perspective, we as an administration can have a little bit of say here and there, but the curriculum is is a uh, you know it's it's faculty's uh, area of expertise. Okay, I'm just asking because I brought this up uh, when we were at the student government was asked about the general ed redesign, and uh -huh. I'm just willing to die on this hill because I think it's important for student education. Yeah. Uh, do you think that we should add financial literacy as one of the capacities that are required because a lot of students are being forced off the island because of higher cost of living mm -hmm. and just people can't retire here because it's so expensive. And we can't really build that Hawaiian culture or community that we're being taught about because it's just, no one can live here unless you're rich. And that's just the main concern I have when we have a bunch of classes about Hawaiian culture and community, but it's ultimately kind of pointless because it just dies when everyone's forced away from that. I, 
I, I, I actually do believe that financial literacy is key uh, uh, through the educa through education, and and I, I've seen it uh, become integrated in different capacities at different places that I've worked at. Um, I would say that I don't know the channels that you as student leaders have for the gen ed redesign. Um, I could, I could learn a little, I'm, I'm gonna ask a little bit more about that component to see where this information can go. Um, I also believe that maybe our faculty Senate had been uh, gathering feedback from the campus and I don't know if, if that was extended to student leadership, but I'll, I'll bring this up with the circles that I'm in uh, as it relates to the gen ed redesign, but also I'll throw into the equation that often things like uh, financial, uh, you know, financial literacy uh, can be uh, not to diminish them because I consider extracurricular really important, but it could be extracurricular requirements to the to you know the educational pipeline. So as an example, uh, when I was a student. Um, I needed to participate in campus activities in order to graduate. So it wasn't just enough that I got all A's in my classes. I needed to also, you know, join some clubs, present in some places, do some other. And financial literacy was one of the first things that we had to do. And so there are other ways of, of engaging in this and embedding it. Um, I, I don't know much of the history here at the university for how this has played much of any role. But let me do a little bit more digging to see how feedback from student leaders gets into the equation for the gen ed redesign. Thank you, Carlos, or Chancellor Carlos. Awesome. I, Eric, thank you so much for that question. Um, you know, the, the general uh, education redesign is such a passionate uh, subject for so many here. So we're excited to really get that out there and get more people to know about it and there'll be more information to come to be continued on that. So uh, uh, thanks again, Chancellor Carlos uh, Peñalosa. Uh, did you have anything else or any anything to close um, our podcast today? I just, I just wanna again reiterate how excited I am that you're all so engaged um, because a lot of the questions that you're bringing up, you know, they wouldn't come to me through other channels. Um, and so it's great to have that pulse on our students. And so thank you for representing them. Um, in addition to that, just know that through our strategic planning process, much of what you've been sharing can go into those conversations for the planning for our future. So even if we can't address it through a university-wide change, it may be something that we address at the, at the Leeward CC level. So thank you so much for your commitment. And I really enjoy having these conversations. That is so great. It's so wonderful to have you on our talk story for our Gain Knowledge and Build Relationships podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Libra Community College, for listening either on Spotify, YouTube, or whatever platform you may be listening to us on. Uh, you have been listening to Student Government Talk with Libra Community College's Chancellor Carlos Pinolosa, and it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and have a great day. Mahalo, Chancellor Pinolosa, for all the updates. Mahalo to everyone that listens or watched this Gain Knowledge Build Relationships episode. As mentioned, updates are constantly coming in, so please stay tuned for more next month. Don't forget to stay connected with my friends at Libert CC Student Government by following them on Instagram at LibertSG and their YouTube page, LibertSG. 
If you enjoyed this podcast and want to continue listening for more stories, continue to be on the lookout for the Libre CC Student Life Podcast and find the Gay Knowledge Book Relationship Series and Episodes. Remember to stay safe, stay connected, and keep gaining knowledge. This is Ulu signing off. Oh, who you?